Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the A to Z of David Bowie. I'm Mark Riley, and that colourful character is Rob Hughes. As you'll be aware, the A to Z of David Bowie is free to download. Lunacy. But if you'd like to support us along the way and be a member of an exclusive Bowie club, you can. And here's how. There's an exclusive Bowie members club called Cheap Things. And for just $5 a month, wow, you can be part of it. Right. So now you're thinking $5 isn't much, but what exactly will I get for my hard-earned cash? Well, in short, you'll get lots of great new exclusive material delivered to your door. Well, computer actually, Mark. Via a system called Patreon. That's right, Mark. Patreon is a payment system that allows you to contribute your monthly subscription and offers you a portal to access the exclusive material. Materials such as interviews with Bowie's cohorts and friends, there'll be regular film Bowie quizzes, Bowie guitar tutorials, unreleased archive written material, competitions, and perhaps most impressively, short films featuring the Cheap Things team. Ah, that'll be me, Mark, Howard Nock, and Jason Reed visiting various Bowie places of interest, and much more besides. All this for just $5 a month. So if you can't resist, simply go to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash cheap things, or one word, and join up. There's also a website. Bowie at cheapthings.com. Book early. S is for Space Oddity. Now then, Mark, we've made it a policy, haven't we, not to discuss individual songs on this podcast, really. But we have to make an exception here, because you would say that Space Oddity, of all Bowie's songs, is his most uh, readily identifiable. It's the one that made his name. It's certainly that. And I do remember Mark Radcliffe and I, when, when we were in the Shire Horses, and, and, you know, you should keep something, shouldn't you? Uh, but we uh, we just, in this band, we used to do pastiches of other people's tunes. And we did um, Bill Oddity. Now, for people who don't know who Bill Oddity is, he doesn't exist, but Bill Oddy does, and mm. he was a member of the goodies. These days, he's better known as a twitcher, a bird watcher, That's a, right. a wildlife guy, isn't he? Yeah, and I think he did sing on a Rick Wakeman album, didn't he, at one point? He wouldn't surprise me yeah. at all. Um, well, the, I think the words were ground beef whiskers for Ginger Tom. Um, uh, take your uh, vitamin pills and put your flea collar on, oh. which is obviously <laughs> really excellent stuff. Brilliant. But I remember that, of course, when you go through the pastiche kind of a rigmarole, you need to get the permission of the artist involved. Right. And so I remember that we sent a fax through, th- those were the days, uh, to Alan Edwards, mm. um, uh, who looked after David Bowie. Yeah. And, uh, and he sent it on to David. And then David sent his permission back to Alan Edwards, and then we got the permission. And so there was a fax that landed in the office from the outside organisation saying, uh, David, it is fine for you to go with this, which in itself is remarkable. But the fact that we probably just looked at him and went, brilliant, we can do it, and put it in the bin, 
that's that's a document that will be on my oh, wall now. Absolutely, man. What are you playing at? Man, it oh. happened to you so often, didn't it? You must have seemed like an everyday occurrence. Well, I won't go that far, mate. But anyway. So, to the song then. Space Oddity is a song written and recorded by Bowie. It first released as a seven-inch single on the 11th of July, 1969. It was also the opening track of his second studio album, David Bowie. It became one of Bowie's signature songs and one of four of his songs to be included in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's 400 songs that shaped rock and roll. And you've lost 100 there, mate. There's 500 of them. But it's all right. You, you, you weren't keeping count, were you? And you've not got your calculator on you. It's fine. Oh, stop it now. Inspired by Stanley Kubrick's film 2001 A Space Odyssey 1968, the song is about launch of Major Tom, a fictional astronaut, and was released during a period of great interest in space flight. The United States Apollo 11 mission would launch five days later and would become the first manned moon landing another five days after that. Mm, uh, the lyrics have also been seen to lampoon the British space programme, which was, and still is, an unmanned project, but we would later revisit the Major Tom character in the songs Ashes to Ashes, Hello Space Boy, and possibly the music video for Black Star. Bowie told interviewer Bill Demain in uh, 2003, I'm sure they really weren't listening to the lyric at all. It wasn't a pleasant thing to juxtapose against the moon landing. Of course, I was overjoyed that they did. Obviously, somebody at the BBC said, oh, right then, a space song, Major Tom, blah, blah, blah. That'd be great. But uh, yeah, he gets stranded in space, sir. Nobody had the heart to tell the producer that. No, they didn't look closely enough. Space Oddity was Bowie's first single to chart in the UK. It reached the top five on its initial release and received the 1970 Ivor Novello Special Award for Originality. His second album, originally released as David Bowie in the UK, was renamed after the track for its 1972 re-release by RCA. And in 1975, upon reissue, as part of a maxi-single, the song became Bowie's first UK number one single. Fabulous. In 2013, the song gained renewed popularity after it was recorded 44 years after Bowie by Canadian astronaut Chris Hadfield, who performed the song whilst aboard the International Space Station and therefore became the first music video shot in space. Yeah, more Very of w- appropriate, of course. Yeah, more of which in a bit. In January 2016, the song re-entered the singles chart around the world following Bowie's death. Three primary studio versions of Space Oddity exist. An early version, recorded in February 69. The album version, recorded that June, edited for release as a single. And a 1979 re-recording. The early studio version of Space Oddity was recorded on the 2nd of February 1969 for Bowie's promotional film Love You Till Tuesday. Bowie and his then musical partner John Hutchinson shared lead vocals and played acoustic guitars while Bowie added ocarina and a stylophone. Now, I don't want to patronise anybody, but if you don't know what an ocarina sounds like, have a listen to the uh, ocarina solo in Wild Thing, uh, courtesy of Reg Presley, and that will explain it to you. Uh, The lineup on the first studio version also included Colin Wood, Hammond Organ and Mellotron, Dave Clagg on bass and Tap Meager on drums. This recording became commercially available in 1984 on a belated VHS release of the film accompanying the soundtrack album. Mm, in June 1969, after Bowie's split from record label DRAM, his manager, Kenneth Pitt, negotiated a one-album deal with options for a further one or two albums with Mercury Records and its UK subsidiary, Philips. Mercury execs had heard an audition tape that included a demo of Space Oddity recorded by Bowie and Hutchinson. Bowie then tried to find a producer. George Martin turned the project down, uh, while Tony Visconti liked the album demos but considered the uh, planned lead-off single, Space Oddity, a cheap shot at the impending Apollo 11 space mission. Uh, Visconti decided instead to delegate production to his mate, Gus Dudgeon. 
In his book, Bowie, Bolan and the Brooklyn Boy, Visconti wrote, I thought the song was a cheap shot to capitalise on the first moon landing. I also thought it was too vocally derivative in style of both John Lennon and Simon and Garfunkel. Really? Uh, Space Oddity was totally out of the bag. Davey said to me, it's a condition of my contract that I've got to record the song. I replied, OK, but I'm not the man to do it. I'm afraid I don't think it's right for you. I was a principled hippie back then. Fair enough, you know. Yeah. Uh, the album version of Space Oddity was recorded at Trident Studios on the 20th of June 1969 with overdubs a few days later and used the in-house session player Rick Wakeman on Mellotron, who was later to achieve fame with Yes, of course, as well as Mick Wayne on guitar, Herbie Flowers on bass and Terry Cox on drums. Bowie sang lead and harmony vocals and played acoustic guitar and the stylophone. Differing edits of the album version were released as singles. The song was promoted in advertisements for the stylophone, which played by Bowie on the record and heard in the background during the opening verse. The single was not played by the BBC until after the Apollo 11 crew had returned safely. Wise move. After this slow start, the song reached number five in the UK singles chart. In the US, it stalled at 124. Uh, besides its title, which alludes to the film 2001 A Space Odyssey, the introduction to the song is an instrumental build-up that recalls the deep bass tone in Alzo's Sprach Zarathustra that's used in the film. Uh, talking to interviewer Bill Domain in 2003, Bowie said it was written because of going to see the film 2001, which I found amazing. I was out of my gourd anyway. I was very stoned when I went to see it several times and it was really a revelation to me. It got the song flowing. On the 2nd of October 1969, Bowie performed the song for an episode of Top of the Pops. However, this was recorded separate from the main audience. The performance was shown on the 9th of October the following week and repeated on the 16th of October. At present the performance is missing due to the BBC's policy of erasing their old tapes. Oh, that is just beyond sad. Yeah, and Mogol wrote Italian lyrics for the song and Bowie recorded a new vocal in December 1969, releasing the single Ragazzo Solo, Ragazzo Sola, Lonely Boy, Lonely Girl in Italy. Ah. Upon its reissue as a single in 1973, Space Odyssey reached number 15 on the Billboard chart and became Bowie's first hit single in the States. This was then used to support RCA's 1975 UK reissue, which gave Bowie his first number one hit in the UK singles chart in November that year. It spent two weeks at the top of the charts. Bowie recorded a stripped-down acoustic version of the song in late 1979, which was issued in February 1980 as a B-side of the Alabama song. Video director David Mallett had suggested that Bowie re-record it. Bowie recalled... I agreed as long as I could do it again without all its trappings and do it strictly with three instruments. Having played it with just an acoustic guitar uh, on stage early on, I was always surprised at how powerful it was just as a song, without all the strings and the synthesizers. Bob, uh, uh, can I, I tell you here? Go on. I, I don't know if you've got this. I mean, oh... And I don't know if the police will raid my house. Oh. Um, but uh, quite recently, I was sent all of these stems of uh, Space Odyssey. Oh, okay. And it's amazing. So it is, yeah. again, don't wish to patronise it, but there will be people out there who perhaps don't know. Mm. It's just a breakdown. Mm. So you get sent like 12 or 15 different tracks through, and it's just got the vocals on one. It's just got the Mellotron on oh. one. It's got the guitar on one. And it's just, it's amazing. Oh, I'll, I'll, you, you, can, you can listen to it, Can Bob. I really? Yeah. You can. It's yeah. great. It really is I'd great, love, honestly. I'd love to hear that, especially as the vocal on its own. Yeah, oh. it's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And I think that they should release, I don't know if this is official or if somebody just okay. got hold of it, but they should do it for a lot. I've heard um, Life on Mars stripped down in exactly the same yeah, way. Yeah, I knew you'd heard that one. Yeah, yeah because I, I was with uh, Ken Scott in, in yeah. Abbey Road when he did it uh, with Blam and with Nigel Reeve. Um, so I've heard that, and that is just, like, breathtaking. Mm. But if you could do that with a, a lot of the songs where you can just actually hear the nuances of what, what are happening, like, for instance, uh, I haven't heard Ziggy being done in a similar way. 
way yeah. and the breakdown of it, you can hear Mick Ronson's hands just going up and down the fretboard, scratching and oh, stuff. It, it, it's just like you're there. Yeah. It really is incredible. Just wonderful. Uh, there were also demos recorded in early 1969, two of which have since had an official commercial release. An early demo was recorded in approximately late January 69. This one differs greatly from the album version with only an acoustic guitar and stylophone present as instruments. The vocals in this demo were done by Bowie and Hutchinson. Uh, so Hutch, uh, he's uh, hopefully going to do a uh, interview for us for Cheap Things for our Patreon.com forward slash Cheap Things scenario, mm. which if anybody doesn't know what it is, uh, it's a Bowie fan club, really. And uh, yeah, it's $5 a month. Uh, as I say, you go to Patreon.com forward slash Cheap Things and just sign up and you'll get loads of stuff filming of uh, me and Bob going to the Manchester Apollo, recreating the Iggy Pop and Ziggy tour there from the Idiot Tour from 1977. Yeah, we go to the Hard Rock, don't we? The venue that Bowie played in 72 in Manchester and there's going to be some quizzes. Interview with Woody Woodman's Yeah, in. exclusive interviews and yeah. loads going on. Anyway, so uh, yeah, hopefully Hutch will be one of those interviews. But anyway, Hutch sang the lead vocals on the ground control section up until This Is Major Tom to ground control, while Bowie sang the harmony vocals. When the aforementioned lyric begins, lead vocals switch to Bowie. Hutch played the acoustic guitar while Bowie played the stylophone. The demo remained officially unreleased for more than 40 years until it appeared on the 2009 2CD edition of the album Davy Bowie. Bowie and Hutch recorded another demo version in approximately mid-April 1969. That recording appeared as the opening track on the 1989 box set Sound and Vision. The compilation incidentally also saw the first appearance on CD of the B-side of Space Oddity, Wild-Eyed Boy from Free Cloud. So the personnel then, Davey Bowie vocals, acoustic guitar, stylophone. Mick Wayne on lead guitar. Herbie Flowers, bass guitar. Terry Cox, drums. Paul Bookmaster, string arrangements. Tony Visconti, flutes and woodwinds. Rick Wakeman, Mellotron. And Gus Dudgeon, as mentioned, produced. Producer. Okay, so music videos. Uh, the February 1969 version of the song appeared in the film Love You Till Tuesday. In December 1972, Mick Rock shot a video of Bowie miming to the tune uh, in the June of 1969 and uh, joined the sessions for Aladdin Sane. The resulting music video was used to promote the 1973 US reissue of Space Oddity. Okay, a promotional video of the 1979 version debuted in the UK on Kenny Everett's New Year's Eve show on the 31st of December, funnily enough, mm. in 1979. A music video made the following year for Ashes to Ashes used many of the same sets, solidifying the connection between the two songs, both videos of course directed by Bowie and David Mallette. Yes, and also, do you say Mallette? <laughs> Don't know why I said Mallette, I know it's Mallette. Right, okay. Uh, what about Timmy Mallette? <laughs> Um, no, that is Timmy Mallet. I'm a big, big fan of Timmy Mallet. And so the legacy, we know the BBC used it in the coverage of Apollo 11 and all that, don't we? We do. On the 6th of February 2018, the maiden flight of the SpaceX Falcon Heavy rocket carried Elon Musk's personal Tesla Roadster and a mannequin affectionately named Starman into space. Space Oddity was to be one of the tunes playing on the car's sound system during the flight. Hadfield announced the video on his Twitter account, writing with deference to the genius of David Bowie. Here's Space Oddity, recorded on station. A last glimpse of the world. Bowie was also thanked in the ending credits. This was the first music video ever shot in space. Bowie responded to the video, tweeting back to Hadfield, Hello, space boy, and would later call the cover possibly the most poignant version of the song ever created. Uh, some compliment. The performance was the subject of a piece by Glenn Fleischman in The Economist on the 22nd of May 2013, analysing the legal implications of publicly performing a copyrighted work of music whilst in Earth orbit. I've never even thought of that. Brilliant. So he's, so he's actually obviously asking the question of exactly where does copyright run to yeah yeah uh, the song is the only one of Bowie's for which Bowie did not own the copyright Bowie's publisher granted Hadfield a license to the song for one year only due to the expiry of the one year license the official
official video was taken offline on the 13th of May 2014, despite Bowie's explicit wishes that the publisher Grant Hadfield a license at no charge to record the song and produce the video. Following a period of negotiations, the video was restored to YouTube in November that year with a two-year license agreement in place. Bowie himself once said that the song is about alienation, saying that he also had a lot of empathy with Major Tom. Having seen Kubrick's 2001 in 1968, Bowie said later that it was that sense of isolation that I related to. Intriguingly, as mentioned in Nicholas Pegg's book, one theory as to the name of Space Oddity, the protagonist in it, relates to a variety of old poster that Bowie had seen posted on a wall in Brixton as a boy. This is bonkers. The poster advertised Tom Major, father of the future Tory Prime Minister, John Major. I didn't, that's the thing I didn't know when yeah. I was doing research. I saw, I saw that before just reading the notes, so that's crazy. Well, he was a, you know, he was a musical performer and circus performer, wasn't he, his dad? Well, his lad was as well. <laughs> Very good, mate. Good political element. Contemporary reviews were good. In The Observer, Tony Palmer called Space Oddity a welcome breath of cynicism at a time when we cling pathetically to every moon man's dribbling joke, when we admire unquestioningly the so-called achievement of our helmeted heroes without wondering why they're there at all. It's great that he looks at the cynicism of it, and uh, but we've also looked at the fact that the BBC just waved it on, like, oh yeah, Major Tom, <laughs> yeah. space, blah, blah, blah. A little bit like the BBC letting Walk on the Wild Side go through with the, with the head reference and all that That's kind of right. stuff. Uh, in Disc and Music Echo, Penny Valentine, who was a big Bowie supporter, wasn't yeah. she? Uh, she wrote, I have a bet in the office that this is going to be a huge hit, and in that she listened spellbound throughout. The sound is amazing. It's obviously going to do well in America, which is nice, which it didn't. Which it didn't, which <laughs> no. isn't nice. But we also insisted that it be released as a single in both mono and stereo versions. Rick Wakeman recalled later, to the best of my knowledge, nobody released stereo singles at that time, and they pointed that out to David, and I can remember David saying, that's why this one will be stereo, and he just stood his ground. He wasn't being awkward, but he had a vision of how things should be. I love that too. Yeah, of course. Of course he would. And now we're going to go to an interview with John Hutch Hutchinson, yes. uh, which is an interview that he did with you, Bob. Yeah, when his book came out, uh, Bowie and Hutch, in yeah. 2014. What did you ask him to begin with? Well, um, I said, uh, do you remember how easily or not Space Oddity came together? And he said it was very easy. David just turned up with this new beginning, which was the E minor C thing, the distinctive wrong way round pair of chords. And I remember thinking it sounded a bit like the Bee Gees. I've read different stories about who heard it first, but I would say that probably no one heard it before I did because he just put it together the night before, that seems likely. Mm. Uh, with the stylophone as well, you asked? Yeah, and he said, yeah, well, it was like that. It wasn't a surprise that he pulled a stylophone out. He'd always be trying things things like that. The song was complete when he brought it to me. I've read in various places that I claimed it was a co-write, but I didn't. It wasn't a co-write at all. It was just that I possibly showed him different inversions on chord changes, which you would do on any song. Uh, and then I say to him, well, you say in your book, Bowie and Hutch, that David imagined you as an English Simon and Garfunkel. How seriously do you think he took that idea? To which he answered, I had mixed feelings when that was coming up because after Hermione Farthingale had left, Feathers had finished and it just became David and I. It was very close to the time when I realised I'd probably have to go back up north and get a proper job because we certainly didn't have enough gigs to keep us going. I think the timing was all wrong. I think David really wanted to do the duo thing and was probably very disappointed in me having to leave. When I left, he basically asked me to come back after I got the family settled, but I just couldn't do it. I would have been sleeping on floors and the rest of it, and I think David was finding it quite difficult. He was serious about it, though. I don't necessarily think that it was a long-range plan. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those, you know, that kind of sliding doors moment in Hutchinson's life, wasn't yeah. it, really? Uh, in 1983, reflecting 
commenting on the success of Space Oddity, Bowie said, It was, unfortunately, a very good song that possibly I wrote a bit too early because I didn't have anything else substantial at the time. OK, and uh, it's worth mentioning the fact that we'll be covering Space Oddity, the album, anyway, in yes, the future, we won't we? But uh, that was such a pivotal part in his career. And also worth mentioning that uh, Hutch... He went on to play uh, guitar, acoustic guitar predominantly, I think it was, for Bowie on the um, Aladdin Saints. He did, that's right. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The A to Z of David Bowie with Mark Riley and Rob Hughes. S is for the Sound and Vision Tour. So did you get to see this, Bob? Sadly, Mark, I couldn't make it. You couldn't make it, right? Okay, I, yeah, I went to see it. And, uh, well, it, it, there is a, a big old story behind it, so let's get to it. All right, so Bowie's 1990s Sound and Vision Tour was billed as a greatest hits tour in which Bowie would retire his back catalogue of hit songs from live performance. The tour opened in Quebec City in Canada on the 4th of March 1990 before reaching its conclusion at the River Plate Stadium in Buenos Aires in Argentina on the 29th of September, uh, spanning five continents in seven months. So the concert tour surpassed Bowie's previous Serious Moonlight 1983 and Glass Spider 1987 tour statistics by visiting 27 countries with 108 performances. Edouard Locke of La 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 Human Steps co-conceived and was the artistic director for this tour. Bowie's previous Glass Spider tour and two most recent albums, Tonight 1984 and Never Let Me Down 87, had all been critically dismissed and Bowie was looking for a way to rejuvenate himself artistically. Uh, to this end, Bowie wanted to avoid having to play his old hit live forever and used the release of the Sound and Vision box set as the impetus for a tour despite having no new material recorded. Uh, he took a break from his band Tin Machine for Sound and Vision telling the band he was contractually obligated to do the tour. He invited fellow Tin Machine guitarist Reeves Gabrels to tour with him but uh, Gabrels declined and instead suggested Adrian Ballou with whom Gabrels and Bowie had previously worked. Okay, Gabrels called Ballou and said, I have this friend who's going on tour and he needs a guitar player. He's asked me and I can't do it, but I thought you might want to do it and I put David on the phone. It was stated that Bowie would never perform these greatest hits on tour again. That was always going to be uh, a right old uh, albatross, uh, wasn't it? Absolutely. You know, it's kind of... Do you know what? You're looking at it and you think it's quite possibly the case of Bowie thinking, I'm going to put myself into a corner here that I can't get out of, but it will be good for me creatively. Yes, yeah, absolutely. You can see, you know, the, you can see uh, the, uh, the reasoning. You can see the reasoning for it, but you can also see a little bit like when he gave all the young dudes 
to mop the hoople. <laughs> Almost as soon as he'd done it, he's thinking, <laughs> oh, what for done? Yeah, you can see it. But yeah, you know, I applaud the intention anyway. Uh, Bowie said, knowing I won't ever have those songs to rely on again spurs me to keep doing new things, which is good for an artist. Mm, we've well, discussed that, haven't we? Yeah. Bowie looked forward to retiring his old hits, saying it's time to put about 30 or 40 songs to bed. And it's my intention that this be the last time I'll ever do these songs completely. Because if I want to make a break from what I've done up until now, I've got to make it concise and not have it as a habit to drop back into. It's so easy to kind of keep on going and saying, well, you can rely on those songs. You can rely on that to have a career or something. And I'm not sure I really want that. He would later state in another contemporary interview that I want to finish off that old phase and start again. By the time I'm in my later 40s, it will have built up a whole new repertoire. It has been noted that Bowie is famous for claiming retirement in the past. So we're talking about Ziggy here, aren't we? Uh, So many critics and observers didn't fully believe Bowie when he said he wouldn't play these songs again. I bet Bowie believed it. I'm sure he did at the time, yeah. Yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. Bowie spent uh, the early few months of 1990 preparing the tour in a rehearsal hall on Manhattan's west side. All right, so we get to the songs that he played on tour. It was announced that the set list for any given performance of the tour would be partially determined by the most popular titles logged in by a telephone pole by calling the number 1-900-2-Bowie-90. Uh, money earned from phone calls to the number were donated to two charities, Save the Children and a Brixton charity. Mail-in ballots were made available to vote by in territories where telephone technology wasn't available. There's a little uh, inkling there that he's uh, once again alluding to his dad and Bernardo's, yes. the, the, the child charity, which was very yeah. close to his heart, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, Bowie did, in fact, build a tour set list from calls to the phone number from all over the world, saying, what I ended up doing was taking about seven or eight songs from the calls in England, another seven or eight from the rest of Europe, and the rest are made up from America. So it's a good sampling of what everybody wanted in all the continents. I can see the reasoning there. That yep. makes sense. The first shows of the tour, held in March 1990 in Canada, were performed before any telephone polls were completed, leading Bowie to guess at the list of songs the audience wanted to hear. In the States, the songs Fame, Let's Dance and Changes topped the list of songs requested by fans, while in Europe, the songs Heroes and Blue Jean were the leaders. Uh, was it Elvis Costello who had a, a big wheel on stage with him with a lots of different song types? That's right, and he'd just spin it and then he'd guarantee a different set list every night. Great idea. Uh, the enemy, in response to the telephone poll, ran a spoof campaign, infamously. Just say gnome. Uh, in an effort to have the Laughing Gnome included in the set list. Bowie had considered playing the Laughing Gnome in the style of the Velvets or something, until he found out the voting had been perpetrated by the music magazine. Oh, uh, and I've mentioned before, yeah. but he, he did do a tiny little bit of uh, the Laughing Gnome on stage in the soundtrack at the MEN Arena. Yes, I believe so. Yeah. <laughs> so to the set design now. So Edward Locke, as you mentioned before, of La 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 Human Steps, co-conceived and was the artistic director for the tour. Bowie had originally wanted La 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 Human Steps to be involved in his uh, previous Glass Spider tour in 87 but he was unable to secure them due to scheduling conflicts given the unfavorable attention that his previous solo tour drew but he was keen to make sure that sound and vision tour did things differently he said it will be staged there is no way i could ever consider really putting something on the stage that doesn't owe something to theater pronouncing theater in a thick british accent but it won't be overtly theater in as much as it won't be propped in the same way going back to the way we work towards station to station show which is basically a question of using a kind of brechtian lighting pad and working areas and atmospheres of light is very much the kind of feel it will have he added that this tour is nowhere near as ambitious as glass spider in size but qualitatively in essence i think it's as theatrical 
In addition to the stark lighting and the backing four-piece rock band, Bowie employed a new tool for this tour, a giant 60 by 40 foot transparent gauze scrim. Uh, the scrim was occasionally be lowered in front of or behind Bowie, onto which images of Bowie and videos were projected. Bowie described it as being like a giant Javanese shadow puppet show at times. Two large round screens at each side of the stage also displayed the videos projecting on the scrim. The set was constructed by 80 workers who travelled with the tour with the help of local workers who were hired in each city. A single set took eight trucks to move with an additional four buses for the workers and required nine hours to set up and four hours to load out each night. This is it's just, just like knocks ELP into a cocked hat. Video recordings of La 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 Human Steps, Louise Lecavalier uh, performing dances in time to the music and images of Bowie singing, playing instruments, miming or otherwise performing to certain songs that were projected on the screens during the show. For some dates, such as the performance in Montreal in March 1990. Some of the dancers from La 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 Human Steps danced live on stage to some of the songs. Bowie was enthusiastic about the inclusion of the dancers on the tour. He said, you've never seen anything like them before. They're probably the leading avant-garde dance troupe in North America. Louise Le Cavalier, their star, is like nothing else you've ever seen on stage. She's absolutely phenomenal. The dance troupe is unbelievable. It's where punk and ballet clash with each other. So there are some live recordings. So Bowie wanted to record the concert, something he hadn't always done before saying we're intending to film it for posterity I should hope so I've always regretted not having filmed things like Diamond Dog Show we never filmed the Station to Station Show or the Soul Show with David Sanborn and those guys I have absolutely no footage of those things it's terrible it's infuriating it is David it is it just yeah. how could you do that yeah. and the weird thing is that you've put so much attention into it and you know that it's groundbreaking and you've and, and it costs so much money to do and then you don't just run a Super 8 over it even it's, it, it's crackers it just oh why not keep that for posterity, you know? Uh, despite this, no official recording of the show has been made available to the public in either audio or video form. A number of performances were filmed and recorded for TV and radio broadcasts. So, tour incidents, mid-tour, Bowie, Erdal Kazike, is that how you Yeah, it? yeah. And guitarist Adrian Ballou joined blues guitarist uh, Buddy Guy in Chicago for a performance at the NAM Expo 90, which celebrated Guy. A month later, in Philadelphia, Bowie stopped his performance in the middle of the song Young Americans to speak out against music censorship, specifically due to the controversy over Two Live Crew's album, As Nasty As They Wanna Be, saying, I've been listening to the album by Two Live Crew. It's not the best album that's ever been made, but when I heard they banned it, I went out and bought it. Freedom of thought, freedom of speech, it's one of the most important things we have. And uh, also during the show in Medina, Bowie stopped his performance whilst in the middle of Station to Station and said on stage, OK, I'm going to have to pick some easier songs or I'm never going to get through half of these. Let's try fame. Then Bowie proceeded to take his guitar and throw it to the other side of the stage. It's said that Bowie had a cold and had become frustrated that it was affecting his vocals. Right, OK. For the 10 performances in the United Kingdom alone, it was estimated the audience figure was 250,000 in total. The tour was estimated to have grossed £20 million, which is about... 37 million today. Yeah, not bad at all. So uh, the legacy of that tour, Bowie felt that a burden had been lifted by retiring the old hits he felt he was forced to perform. And he said, retiring my old hits on tour was a very selfish thing to do, but it gave me an immense sense of freedom to feel that I couldn't rely on any of those things. It's like I'm approaching it all from the ground up now, starting with, okay, we know what songs we needn't do anymore. 
what of my past did I really like? He said, uh, you pick things that were really good songs and you try to recontextualise them by giving them current contemporary rhythms. And we've been knocking around ideas like Shopping for Girls from Tim Machine, Repetition and Quicksand from Hunky Dory, certain songs that I probably haven't ever performed on stage. They're working shoulder to shoulder with new material and I'm starting to see continuity in the way I work. And after finishing the Sound of Vision tour, Bowie uh, returned to his band Tin Machine for their second album. Yeah, and um, he did introduce those other songs into the shows. I remember him doing Quicksand in 97. He opened the show with it, right. which was just amazing. And wow. he did repetition in session for Mark Radcliffe and I. Mm. And so he, he, he always, he tried to drag things in, but like Boulay Brothers, seeing Boulay Brothers, which he'd not really done very much before, no. was, were just uh, immense, you know. So uh, it worked for him in the end, but he did come back to some of the songs, naturally. How could you get through playing an enormous dome anywhere and not do Life on Mars? It just, you, you wouldn't get out there live. You wouldn't, yeah, the audience would demand it at least. So that's it for this episode of the A to Z of David Bowie. But once again, before you go... If you'd like to support us along the way and be a member of an exclusive Bowie club, you can. And here's how. There's an exclusive Bowie members club called Cheap Things. And for just $5 a month, wow, you can be part of it. Why? So now you're thinking $5 isn't much, but what exactly will I get for my hard-earned cash? Well, in short, you'll get lots of great new exclusive material delivered to your door. Well, computer actually, Mark. Via a system called Patreon. That's right, Mark. Patreon is a payment system that allows you to contribute your monthly subscription and offers you a portal to access the exclusive material. Material such as... Interviews with Bowie's cohorts and friends. There'll be regular film Bowie quizzes. Bowie guitar tutorials. Unreleased archive written material. Competitions. And perhaps most impressively, short films featuring the Cheap Things team. Ah, that'll be me, Mark, Howard Nock and Jason Reed Visiting various Bowie places of interest. And much more besides. All this for just $5 a month. So if you can't resist, simply go to patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash cheap things, or one word, and join up. There's also a website, bowiecheapthings.com. Book early. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.